Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jackson trying to escape and run for it, and he's got it more. Lamar Jackson down the sideline. Will they give it to him? They will. Touchdown, Baltimore. And with 117 left to play on Wild Card Weekend, the Hayes in the Barn. Oh my God! I wish you guys could. I wish we had a camera in here so you could see what we're doing. We're just a bunch of <laughs> clowns in here. <laughs> How much fun is that? All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Wednesday, April twenty-first. Recording this on Tuesday. April 20th, and uh, one person on my screen looks to be uh, celebrating the holiday in just full-spirited uh, spirited effect with the, uh, the situation that he's got going on. It's uh, Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. How's it going, buddy? Doing all right. Through uh, my old man back out. Here we are. This is the 20s, uh, the roaring 20s, my personal 20s. And uh, yeah, we're feeling stiff. You could use a stiff one, but we're feeling stiff. Trying to feel loosey-goosey, get, get the juices flowing. And uh, I'm here with the boys, so we're doing better than uh, in my back situation. But, uh, yeah, draft's creeping up. and Well, not creeping up. It's it's here and ready for it. Yeah, you usually tell me that you're kind of stiff before we get going, actually. But I feel like that's an unrelated thing. But, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of funny because you actually uh, – Yeah, you, it doesn't usually have to do with this. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. It's totally general. unrelated. But, yeah, you <laughs> – <laughs> you were getting a little frisky the other day, kind of getting a little, little uh, tweeting out your calluses, getting the summer bod going, and I was like, "Oh, this is, uh, this is, you know, Spenny's starting to feel himself a little bit." And now you're uh, appropriately struck back down to earth. So uh, I feel yep, for you, I but it is carrying it, some bags to the car, and all of a sudden, just gone, done, old man. <laughs> <laughs> Tough scene, and we are also joined uh, that laugh you just heard by our boy Vasily Larikos. How's it going, bud? Everything's good, man. Can't wait for the draft. Yeah, definitely. So that is coming up, what, next week? Next Thursday. Yep. So got a little bit of a draft content housekeeping to get out of the way before then and now. So we're going to be doing some uh, discussions on that uh, at the end of this episode pertaining to the beatdown big board bracket. Uh, I think we're going to be finalizing that up next week uh, with a couple episodes. But uh, yeah, we're going to be getting into some discussions on players to seed into that bracket at the end of this episode. It's part of the reason why we got Voss on here. But uh, we also got him on here because we have some uh, some other news 
going on in uh, the world of the Ravens as the uh, team just hosted their annual pre-draft press conference, also known as the Liars Luncheon. Voss, I know you're a big fan of this tradition. Uh, it's interesting. Sometimes you can glean a little information from Joe Ortiz. Uh, Liars Luncheon might be a little overstated. Maybe they sometimes do a little reverse psychology and actually tell you the truth to throw you off the scent, if that makes sense. Um, didn't get a whole lot of analysis or detail besides uh, Eric DaCosta's uh, bold, bold uh, statement there. Spenny, what is your typical takeaway each year with this thing? They just say a bunch of names and talk in general air and uh, I don't know. They try to act really coy and cool, but you can tell they're not. It's like this whole little mix they like to portray of uh, everything's under control. Everything's cool. They, they know they have this huge master plan that no one knows what it is, but it's, it's just like they're, you know, they're never picking high. They have to wait and see how the board falls. And I don't know. I feel like they, they're, I feel like there's some reeks of desperation starting to seep through. And that's why Vaz tweeted out so perfectly, so apropos, a pro's pro, that, uh, you know, they have this this press conference and they end up making the statement of, you know, where Eric Tacos is insulted that people, uh, fans don't enjoy the receivers that the Ravens have and he's insulted and they're insulted and they have great potential and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like they have some sort of they, like they have an insecurity. You can just tell that they have an insecurity. It's like the kid who shit his pants one day at lunch, like always feels like he's going to shit his pants again. Like they they don't tr- talk about their run game. They don't talk about their defense. They don't talk about their corners with this weird combative like desperation. And then just knowing now through the offseason that they the, the weird comments they make, it's just all, they treat it so differently. Like they have some real insecurity about it. Like, I don't know quite exactly how to put it, but early in the offseason, Harbaugh goes on the record and is like, well, if we have to beg you, then we don't want you. Rah, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then they desperately try to get Juju. They desperately try to get T.Y. Hilton. They reek of desperation getting Sammy Watkins, who, you know, we don't hate at all, but not exactly a move that's going to fix the the problem that you've had that's creating these kinds of narratives. And then you get to this conference and they just have pre-draft. And it's like, oh, well... Uh, well, we're really insulted by blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, you're insulted because you're insecure about it because you've picked five wide receivers. One of them is doing okay. Like one of them is doing decently well. And the other ones are all a bunch of guys that you're not fully confident in or else you're not desperately trying to go get Juju. Like it's, it's, I don't know. They're starting to reek of desperation in that. But other than that, it's everything's fine. Other than this little wide receiver situation, it's really not that big of a deal. The Ravens are fine, you know, whatever, but uh, they're just getting all testy and like weird about it. And it's just kind of like strange. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's definitely I like, it's very frustrating to me, to be honest, where like you have pretty much 43 really great minutes, some good info. I mean, it might not be like you're not getting everything out of it necessarily, or like everything that you would want to hear out of it as far as like all this really in-depth stuff. But it's a lot of, it's, it's cool to hear them sit down and talk about, you know, what's going down with the draft and like, or like what's going down with their planning for the draft, like them talking about them having 200 draftable players. Like that's not something that you typically get throughout the calendar year, but yeah, just sort of that defensive, like us against the world mentality seems to only apply to that one position. And uh, it's definitely uh, a little bit strange that they're so defensive about it. And I wrote an article about it for BaltimoreBeatdown.com, kind of discussing where I think 
to Costas frustrations ultimately stem. I don't think he's actually insulted by the discussion around it. I think he's more so frustrated by the fact that he kind of has like tried at least in part to fix the issue a little bit. He's drafted more receivers than Ozzy. He tried to go and get these guys. I think he's more just frustrated with the fact that it hasn't worked out. Like Hollywood was a good pick, not a great pick. These other guys kind of haven't totally panned out like you would have hoped quite yet. There's still hope for some of them, of course, but it's just uh, he's in kind of a tough spot. He can't really dish on all the reasons why he's actually pissed off. So he's kind of lashing out a little bit at fans and media is what it felt like to me, boss. Yeah, I don't get lashing out at fans. I don't see what benefit that serves. If you want to lash out at the media, the national media, okay, maybe. Uh, very well read an article, by the way, Jake. I had the pleasure of editing that one. Thanks. Um, couple thoughts. Number one, it grinds my gears when they fall back on the regular season record like they're in the midst of a New England Patriots dynasty. And, you know, they, they've earned the benefit of the doubt in a lot of areas, and they have not with the wide receiver position. Um, and secondly, it just seems like there's a double standard with wide receivers. At any other position on the entire roster, iron sharpens iron is the motto. We are going to – we have a Pro Bowl back coming with Ingram, and we have a third-round pick in Justice Hill, but we're going to take J.K. Dobbins. Or we already have – we already added two high-paid defensive linemen. Let's draft another one. Or at corner, depth on depth on depth. Or at outside linebacker, you had – you were five deep last year, traded uh, draft capital and over $5 million in cap space to clear world over for Ngakwe. But for some reason, a wideout – they seem to be content with uh, the Bronze Age. They don't need iron sharpens iron in that position. At least that's what they're saying. And I don't understand what benefit that serves. They are not overly protective of Ben Bredesen, who they picked in the fourth round, who barely got any reps last year, or Jalen Ferguson, or a lot of other players. But I just don't get it. And I don't buy the notion that because you're a historic rushing offense, it's okay to have a bottom five or a bottom seven receiving corpse and win a Super Bowl. I still think you need more. Yeah, I think you do too. And uh, I think it's about a minute and a half. So I'm going to go ahead and see if I can play this clip here from DaCosta just for full context. One of the questions I get from fans all the time is for the wide receiver position, why has you've been able to draft Pro Bowl players at every single position? What is it about the wide receiver position that you have not been able to do so? And is that is that something you even guys even think about? I mean, you know, do we think about it? I mean, I guess we think about it, but we want to win games, you know? I mean, that's really what I think about more often is can we, why do we lose the game or why do we win the game? So we want to have good players at every position. You know, I'm aware that there's some fan discontent with our wide receivers and our drafting and all that. I mean, but in, in general, I look at our record and how we win games and how we play football, and I'm proud of the team. I know Coach is proud. I know Joe is proud. So we've got some really good young receivers. It's insulting to these guys when they hear that we don't have any receivers. It's quite insulting. I'm insulted by it too, to be honest. So I think we've got some guys that want to show everybody what they can do. We love our team. We love our roster. We've got a lot of really good young football players who care very badly about it. So I can't answer the question about pro bowlers and all that. I mean, if, if, if pro bowlers get voted pro bowlers, they're pro bowlers. But I think we've had a lot of good receivers here over the years that have won big games for us. And, uh, I know this, I think Lamar likes our receivers, you know? I think our coaches like our receivers. I think the teammates, the guys in this team like our receivers. And uh, that's my answer to that question. Yeah, and I think the reason that I wanted to put that in here 
just to provide context, is I think that's probably the most animated I've ever heard him in any capacity, whether it's general manager, assistant general manager, whenever he's met with the media. He seems pissed off about this. And like I said, the whole thing about the frustration, and there's some points in there that don't jive with me either, where it sounds like he's kind of conflating good and young a little bit to me, where it's like we've got a lot of good young receivers. Well, you got some young receivers. One of them's good. One of them might be good. Another one's kind of a disappointment, and another one's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a flyer in the sixth round, and then some of these other, you know, Jamokes floating around right now, like Deion Kane. Like, it's just a little, it's all a little suspect to me. Why'd you have to sign Des Bryant then? Right. Why'd you have to sniff around on Juju at $12 million a year or whatever? Why do you have to? Why'd you have to sign Sammy Watkins, who is, you know, can help this offense in some ways, sure, but was what, the, you know, 12th guy, 10th guy in terms of priority free agent wide receivers. Like it just is so obvious that they are desperate to make moves at wide receiver, but are so insulted. Like the, it, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. It's a, uh, I don't know. You just juxtapose what we just, you just played and what Harbaugh said after the, the, you know, the postseason regular season and press conference, they're not afraid to say we want to upgrade the offensive line. They're not worried about Tyree Phillips and Patrick McCarry, uh, their feelings. You know what I mean? Or uh, any of these guys. I mean, they got four Ben Powers, uh, four or five mid-round picks, guys that have all started games competing for one spot on the offensive line right now. And I'm not saying that wide receivers are more important than offensive line necessarily, but why are they handling wide receivers? Quite insulting. I'm insulted by it too, to be honest. <laughs> That's quite insulting. Uh, I'm insulted. I, I by offered an article. Look, I'm insulted. I'm insulted that you're even asking. Okay. It's quite insulting. <laughs> I'm insulted by it too, to be honest. I got a soundboard. I've been trying to figure out how to make it work for the past ten minutes, and it's fine. I finally figured it out. So you be, crushed it. Be, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> That's not the only I, one I've got either. I did a little study. Uh, I guess a couple weeks back. Uh, kind of what we were talking about this time last year after the draft, there's a difference between second-round wide receivers and third-round wide receivers, especially as far as early returns. Something like 80-some percent of first-round wide receivers eclipse, you know, five touchdowns or 800 yards benchmark. Third-round wide receivers really don't. And I don't think you can stand on the hill and say, we took two wide receivers at the very bottom of the third round, the 17th and the 15th wide receiver off the board, and now the problem's solved. So I hope this is all just a big smoke screen, and it is tough. I did a, I did a mock. I filled in for uh, Jake Vogel on a mock the other day against two other teams, and the best wide receiver on the board at 58 was Tyler Wallace, who I would prefer in the third round. But at some point, I think you need you need to continue investing, continue swinging and swinging high. You don't want to. It's like a baseball analogy. You keep swinging. If it's an O2 count and you start swinging, it falls off the plate. That's what happens if you wait till the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round for a wide receiver. Yeah, definitely. And it's uh, it is kind of weird where there is kind of this double standard with the position. And there was plenty of other discussion going on around uh, OL specifically, offensive line. With uh, uh, it came out. I think before the press conference that Alejandro Villanueva was set to visit with the Ravens, I think that was set for tomorrow, but it's actually going to be pushed to Thursday. So the former Steelers uh, standout tackle, he hasn't played as well recently, which is why he's a free agent now, but uh, Ravens may be looking to bring him in to ostensibly replace DJ Fluker, I guess, who uh, signed with the Miami Dolphins. But uh, there was also some kind of a little bit of scuttlebutt 
about how it could also be to replace Orlando Brown Jr., who obviously hasn't requested a trade, been in the news for uh, that reason for pretty much the entire offseason for the Ravens. And uh, Mark Andrews had kind of a cryptic Instagram story uh, saying, quote, with him in a picture of Orlando Brown, quote, the realist, period, easy money, and that's an E and a Z, like easy watchagoo, easy money, period, live in Langid, that's living without a G, and uh, Heart 78, and then uh, SH star star, which I assume to mean shit, uh, shit cuts deep fam. So a lot of people kind of connecting the dots there that maybe he's going to be on his way out, and Alejandro Villanueva is kind of your uh, de facto replacement pickup. They need Villanueva either way. They need a swing tackle either way. Uh, as I like to say, you want to draft without a hand tied behind your back. But again, if you get him, they still need to draft a tackle. It's a good tackle class. There's a lot of guys that meet the six foot five and a half, 34 inch arm threshold that the Ravens have picked every single tackle. Uh, I think the last one that didn't have 34 inch arms was Ramon Harewood, and he had they're over 33 inches. Uh, and he was, I think he was six six and some change. So there's a few guys in that class, Stone Forsythe, Spencer Brown, uh, to mention uh, a couple other ones that, you know, maybe they don't have to draft early on. Interestingly enough, kind of the top tackles in this class, none of them meet that. Sewell doesn't meet that. Jenkins doesn't meet that. Uh, Slater doesn't meet that. Uh, none of them really do. Oh, I think Ike, Eichenberg no, might. No, no. He's like 32 and a half. Is he? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So all, none of those guys even fit. Wow. <laughs> 32 and a half. Wow. wow. <laughs> I'm insulted. The whole class. Uh, the, yeah, you're insulting. Right. A lot of the I'm insulted by it, to be honest. Um, I agree with that, though, as far as you need, you're going to need a swing tackle. Even if you keep Brown, you should still draft the swing tackle with the first one of the first four picks, even if you lock up Brown long term. And, and also, guess what? Go ahead. Then you're in a situation where you've invested in homegrown talent. You have a you have you know depth, and then you have future talent potentially. You have developmental prospects. You have overcompensated. Ravens didn't have enough tackle depth last year. So what did they do? What what do you do? What do you do now? Go get some fucking tackles. Your receivers weren't adequate. It all ties back. It's all relative to how they treat that position differently. Yeah, it wasn't good enough. You had to go sign Des Bryant in the middle of the season because you weren't happy, and you weren't even happy with Des Bryant when he worked out in August. You didn't even want him then, and it got even worse than you thought it was going to be. So you know, at some point, you just need to overcompensate across the board. That's what the Bills do. That's why the Bills have such a top-notch roster. They make sure they have depth. They make sure they have talent. They make sure they have vets, and they make sure they have some developmental players. And that's why being up there is getting so much credit right now as a, a really top-notch GM. So. It would be foolish not to go add another playmaking wide receiver the same way it would have been foolish to not bring in Villanueva and it would be not to draft someone and try and even everything out. And again, the entire point of this offseason, if you're being honest with yourself with talking about this Lamar extension, it's make sure you have tackle depth. It's make sure that you've got you know some serious guys in the interior and make sure that you have guys that can take a little bit of pressure off of Lamar Jackson in the receiving game. You have the running backs. You have the run game. Your pass game is good in the red zone. You know, Lamar can make some things happen. Now get some guys that can take a fucking slant 70 yards. That's all. That's all it is. We. It's like, how long has this been going on? I'm, this is turning into receiver talk again, but it pisses me <laughs> off the more I think about it because Des Bryant was, you know, fans wanted Des Bryant 10 years ago. Everyone knew that would have been perfect for Flacco. Everyone knew that was the pick. And then they don't go make a move. They don't go get him. So, again, at tackle, they're treating tackle the way that they should with rationality. 
going and interviewing a, a high quality candidate and someone that you know you can bring in and is going to be an adequate swing tackle with a wealth of experience who Jake mentioned you know he's not playing at the high level he once was but he could probably start on some teams so that's a really good swing tackle to have you know uh freaking James Hurst was not a bad swing tackle uh stuff like that so make sure you have that and just do it all across the board and then maybe we'll be talking about a team that uh Ed Reed won't dismiss so quickly as a team that was not close to uh you know the the late 2000s Ravens more so than the early 2000s Ravens and that's what we're talking about here (laughs) we're talking about a team that needs to make the next step I think next season Less than an AFC Conference Championship game appearance will be a disappointment, and at least a game that's a closely contested AFC CG, in my opinion. But, you know, I don't think this contend every year for the divisional round is uh, is really the way to go. I think Saints so is- and Packers both have been doing it, and it hasn't gotten them anywhere. To his, to his credit, he did say that regardless of the Orlando Brown situation, they're going to be looking at tackle probably pretty highly in this class. They were grilled a lot, like you mentioned, Voss, on offensive line and on edge. And like, you know, kind of going back to it, there wasn't this sort of, uh, you know, barbarous kind of, you know, response to it. He was just kind of happy to happy to discuss how deep both of those positions are and how excited they are about it. So it sounds like offensive line is going to be in the plans, whether Villanueva is signed, whether Brown is sticking around, whether... They're both going to be on the team or neither. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good thing to hear. And uh, you also mentioned the uh, Lamar Jackson extension, Spenny. It sounds like uh, that's probably going to be in the works. It sounds like he's had a conversation with Lamar. We did actually hear through a back channel a couple months ago that he went down to visit with him in Florida to uh, discuss, uh, you know, the whole situation. It doesn't sound like obviously there was any concrete development. I don't think they expected it that early in the process, but uh, he did sound optimistic that something's probably going to be getting done within the next 365. Yeah, I'd imagine the next 365, I think more likely this time next year, and all the more reason to give Lamar every opportunity to succeed and take that next step in the postseason so you know what you're paying for. I don't know if Lamar at this point deserves a 10-year, $40 million a year contract. As great as he is, I'm a huge Lamar fan, one of the biggest around, but uh, Lamar is a, a unique player who I think might be better off with maybe a little bit of a shorter term contract at this point, in my opinion. Yeah, I think Mahomes' deal is an outlier. That's not, you know, Watson didn't get that. Dak doesn't get that. You know, 10 years is that doesn't happen even in the sport usually. So that's a a bit of an outlier for sure. To give yourself an objective look at it, pretty much just think about what you would give Josh Allen. And I would pretty much apply that objectively to Lamar, which would be like probably one of the more standard kind of, you would say mega deals or super deals. Shout out to the super league. Uh, Like (laughs) one of the super deals that some of these quarterbacks were getting within the last decade, just kind of souped up for 2021. So I would expect kind of something around that those lines. But uh, yeah, I would probably be hoping it wouldn't be that 10 year deal either way. I don't know, like, especially like with the chiefs offensive line situation, you want to talk about offensive line. I mean, they've had some of their own fair share of issues at tackle and you know, it's probably not entirely due to Mahomes' contract at all, especially not quite yet, but you got to think that maybe factors in at least to some extent, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting situation. I think um, I don't even, you know, it's obviously times are different, but I don't remember Flacco's contract really coming up this early in the process, but I think that just speaks to the different starts in their careers, really. It's a different age, too. And obviously, yeah, Lamar won the MVP. That that changes the equation. Yeah, so uh, last thing I wanted to hit on before we jump into our discussion is uh, our boy Zeke Batman hit us up 
and uh, said, can you guys do a roster segment on the next pod? Because I'm honestly confused where EDC wants to add more players than roster spots available unless he just wants to cut talented players that aren't normally cut for some fourth to fifth round rookie. So I kind of wanted to tie this in with some of the uh, sweet spot comments that DaCosta made regarding how many draft picks that you want to have. And I think he talked about maybe drafting 20 or so players over the next three years, did he say? Uh, two years. He two wants years. 10, 10 per class, basically. And how many do they have this year, right? Is it seven this year as we stand? Yes, seven. Yes. yes. So he talked about maybe jumping back uh, in the first round, and obviously like that's kind of a, a ongoing moot discussion at any time because like the phone is always ringing. Guys are always considering offers. But uh, where do you guys stand on kind of that whole what – what do you think the sweet spot is going into this season for draft picks? I, mean, I, can't, I don't necessarily know if I can put a number on it. I think you need an offensive tackle. I think you need a wide receiver. I think you need one, if not two, edge rushers. You need a free safety. Some defensive line depth would be nice, potentially a slot corner. There aren't a ton of spots. No, this is maybe my other critique, and the Ravens are one of the – let me preface this by saying they're one of the five best well-run franchises in the entire NFL. But they are constantly, seemingly prefer depth – over all, over everything. They want depth. They use free agency to acquire depth. They use a draft to acquire depth. They use a comp picks to acquire depth. They use everything's just all about depth. And I think sometimes you're better served maybe sacrificing a little bit of depth to have another impact player or two, especially when they are so good at finding undrafted free agents. It's tough in this class because there's only, I think there's only a little over 600 eligible players to be drafted. And typically there's over well over 700, maybe 800. Uh, a lot of that probably has to do with COVID and players not losing a year of eligibility, being able to return. Um, so in this case, I, I think the UDFA might be pretty slim pickings this year. Um, that's been something that started to try to be rumbled about. But Jay, go ahead. Do you, do you think that has anything to do with just COVID or what, what would be the reason for that? COVID players aren't like you can you could have played this past year without tracking against your eligibility. So that's been really great for a lot of guys that have had injury problems for a while and were able to get healthy and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's only six hundred and something uh, eligible players that entered, and it's typically a good bit, a good chunk higher than that. I think like twelve percent or thirteen percent higher than that. Uh, so UDFA's might be tough this year, a little bit more so. Plus, there's going to be limited medical information. The lack of private workouts makes you uncomfortable. Uh, that's why I, I agree with Vaz. It is a little strange this year. I personally think the depth is one of the most underrated aspects of having a football team at any level, uh, being able to survive injuries. The Ravens have been, I mean, Nick Boyle and Ronnie Stanley were pretty big losses last year. They did have their entire COVID spiel, but typically teams lose at least Ronnie Stanley and Nick Boyle and the Ravens over the last two years. I think that's why they went 14 and two, two years ago was because they had practically nothing. Mark Andrews gets dinged up. Mark Ingram gets dinged up. And that was pretty much it. Uh, Tavon Young as well, and then whatever. I'm sure there's a couple I'm missing, but uh, they've been pr pretty relatively healthy. Uh, so I think that can kind of obscure things a little bit, but there's just not a lot of roster spots. Like Vaz said, you're looking at, you know, a safety would be a nice luxury. Deshaun Elliott uh, played like a rock star last year in many ways, but has only played one, six, one season without being hurt. Um, if Chuck Clark goes down, that feels like a major loss, someone that they speak of very highly. And I feel like fans probably underestimate for his communicative ability and, and what he brings to the field. So adding another safety is imperative. At cornerback, you know, they have too many already. They already have too many corners. Devontae Harris is someone that it feels like has some promise to him. And it's going to be him and Amon Marshall Lewis fighting for a roster spot already. So uh, there's a lot of places, you know, they, they brought back Justin Ellis. I'd like to see someone replace Justin Ellis, but... 
you know, that's going to be a fight. They valued him. They brought him in and they're going to have to, you know, pay money. Well, they are paying him money and they're going to have to cut that money and have dead cap as a result of that. And uh, that doesn't seem wise. And like the interior offensive line, they have so many guys. Like it's really just a couple spots. Edge, who it feels like Justin Houston is going to come in. And if not, then they're going to get someone else as a veteran. So maybe adding one edge. They don't even always carry five edges. Uh, last year, I think that was rare. They also have Aaron Adoye, who I think played like 100 snaps last year. So uh, he's going to be fighting for spots. It feels like there's going to be a fight everywhere across this entire roster if you bring in seven guys, let alone except, ten. So it's except wide receiver, right? Here's a guy <laughs> who played like a rock star, but uh, it feels like seven. It feels to me like seven is the number exactly. And like what I want to see happen maybe is. You either trade up in round one or round two, and then maybe you trade back in like the other one, kind of like alternating. So that way you wind up with seven, but you also have the chance to kind of move up and get an impact player or two impact players, whatever it's going to be on those first two days. Because it feels like you need impact players this year, and you also don't have that many roster spots like you mentioned. And then maybe next year is going to be the year where you do the 13 draft picks, like restock the roster a la 2016-2018. What do you think about seven just kind of sticking pat with that number? It sounds reasonable to me. I think the goal really is day two picks are great. The more day two picks you have, that's where the value really is across the board. Trade back in round one, trade up in round four. Um, I think seven sounds about right. They'll, they'll probably stash a couple guys on IR. And if they bring in somebody that pushes uh, Roderick Washington or James Prochet or uh, – you know, any of these kind of fringe recent late rounders and they push them off the roster, then that's that's fine too. Um, or maybe they can have a little bit of trade value. They could flip one of these offensive linemen for a six-round pick next year or something like that. But seven seems reasonable to me. They just love the depth. They, they want, you know, like you said, they signed the Ellis. They want to, they have Anthony Levine and Jordan Richards and they just want special teams depth guys. And if you add all that money up together, I mean, it's like five guys for a million dollars each. Okay, well, then instead of signing St. Rockets for five million, you have ten. You can sign a ten million dollar wide receiver. Once in a while, I think it's something to consider. It's quite insulting. I'm insulted by it too, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. So I think uh, I think we've had definitely had our fun breaking down the liars' luncheon. It's always a uh, a good. Uh, yeah, good little time of year for me. I think I enjoy tuning into it, even if it is kind of BS. We got some really good stuff from Jerry Coleman kind of hijacking the press conference for anyone that listened, uh, talking about his reaction to the COVID vaccine and parking at the stadium and other so all sorts of nonsense. It's really good stuff from our guy, Jerry. But uh, yeah, if you guys got anything further on it or you want to move on? Let's go. Let's move on. Cool. So uh, going into next week, we are going to be uh, finalizing the draft portion of the offseason as we've been doing uh the b-town big boards we're going to be kind of wrapping that up uh as the draft rolls around and uh basically the idea for that was to pick the perfect prospect for the ravens at their top pick and uh so we went through position group by position group for uh positions of need that we felt so with edge we did our first episode on edge and we wound up with uh, Jalen Phillips and Aziz Ojolari as the uh two perfect prospects that people liked out of four that they could vote on and then uh, on down the line at tight end, you had Pat Fryermuth and Brevin Jordan. At offensive line, you had Creed Humphrey and Landon, Landon Dickerson. Safeties were Trevon Morig and Richie Grant. Defensive linemen were Christian Barmore and Aline McNeil. And wide receivers were uh, Rashad Bateman and Terrace Marshall. 
And uh, now, in the spirit of kind of wrapping things up, we currently have 12 prospects. We're going to add four more so that we can have 16 on each side. And basically, uh, we figured we'd just hop in here and kind of do a roundtable discussion on uh, guys that we can like it or guys that we like at pretty much positions across the board that we can seed into here to uh, get into the tournament and uh, maybe get voted on to be that perfect prospect. So uh, we've already kind of listed all the names. Uh, who's standing out to those na- standing out to you guys out of those names so far? Uh, as guys that you think are maybe favorites heading into this thing. Definitely Rashad Bateman. Everybody loves that fit. I love Rashad Bateman. I feel like everybody's pretty confident in that. I would definitely put my money on him if odds were even. I would be putting my money on Rashad Bateman to take that one. A lot of people like Terrace Marshall as well. I'm sure Jalen Phillips is someone who, for all intents and purposes, if he's got the green light medically, probably the Ravens won't even touch uh, with that 27th pick anyway. Ojolari feels like, you know, positions of need. Those guys having some buzz as well uh, would make a lot of sense. Creed Humphrey has just been like a – everybody. Ravens fans just love Creed Humphrey in many different ways. And I think that Oklahoma connection, I think his name, I think uh, what type of player he is, the type of attitude he has. So, shout out to his family. Shout out to his family, but continue. Hell yeah. Uh, I think those are definitely some of the favorites. Uh, and then Merrick. Merrick has been like the growing, uh, the low-key dark horse that has turned into like everybody's favorite fit in this draft. Like one of the, if you just see some at Roto World guy or some draft network guy or whatever, it's like perfect fits in this draft. It's like Trevon Merrick, Baltimore Ravens, uh, which I see a lot. I see that is a really good fit. He's grown on me for sure. So I think those guys are some of the favorites as we are standing. It's funny, I remember talking about Bateman and Humphrey a year ago, and, they, and they've made it, you know, 12 months all the way through the cycle. I still right, right up in the top there of the favorites. Um, the edge rusher class is very, very interesting to me. There's probably six guys, and I've seen them in all kind of different order. I've seen Ojolari one. I've seen Ojolari six. Uh Across all of them, really. Um, and uh, I, I think it's, it could really surprise us. I agree with your take on Phillips. If he's, if, if he's going to be medically cleared, there's likelihood that another team would clear him before the Ravens, and therefore may not be there, but uh, probably the most talented one out of the bunch. Yeah, and it's also – As a pass rusher, for sure. Yeah, it's also interesting because you have uh, – his, I, I, I don't know if they're teammates technically, but you had uh, Calais Campbell tweeting about Gregory Russo today and how uh, teams are making a mistake passing him up. So that's another guy that's kind of in the mix who was looked at as maybe a first-round talent but has been sliding a little bit. So he's he's an interesting one. We discussed him a lot on the Edge Rusher episode. Spenny, I know uh, you were maybe a little bit intrigued by him but also a little bit skeptical on him as well. Just curious with his explosiveness and get-off. He, he was never the first guy out of his stance. Didn't feel like he was presenting an immediate threat. Um, but just that's part of the difficulty of this draft, him opting out. You know, uh, there's so many of them. Joe Tryon, another one that's really, really, really an interesting fit for the Ravens with his mobility as well as his size. Uh, but when you go look at what the Ravens are deploying at outside linebacker, particularly, it's usually not 6'5, six, 6'6. Six, six. It's usually 6'2, six, 6'3, six, maybe 6'4. Six, uh, that tweener D end outside linebacker size because they want guys that can stand and be explosive as well as really set the edge. I do think Russo sets the edge really well, but I'm trying to kind of do an article right now where I'm looking at, you know, tackles. I mentioned earlier the arm length and height 
outside linebackers. It's somewhere between Tyus Bowser and Matt Judon. Those are like the biggest and the smallest, but usually around that same height where they have leverage and length and mobility skills. Um, so Tryon, a little even taller than that too. Tryon's around six foot five. So it's it's an interesting edge class. I think there's a ton of really late round options for guys that can set the edge. Janarius Robinson, we talked about. Uh, Quincy Roche, I think, fits you know a lot of what the Ravens like production wise. They typically draft edges that got sacks in college. Look at Jalen Ferguson. He's you know the all time sack leader in FBS. So looking Suggs. at those types of guys, Suggs exactly. Um, tons of production coming out of there. So Quincy Roche, guy that has over thirty career sacks, I believe. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't know. Joseph Asai is a weird one, too. I mean, he's a big boy, an explosive mover. He's very raw. He can play the run pretty well and uh, has a lot of upside. So the edge class is funky, but I think the Ravens are uh, likely maybe going to double down on edge in this draft class and be able to get some some sleeper picks. I think that this edge class has slept on a little bit uh, in terms of, of sheer depth. You can talk about guys like Chris Rumpf going later in, you know, probably early day three that have a ton of versatility. Uh, Hamika Rashad, a guy that I've brought up multiple times on this podcast, just a little fire plug that you can stick on your defense and some sub packages. So it's going to be fun to see how they end up turning out an edge. They know they need one next year. The cupboard is bare. So regardless of what they do with bringing in Houston or whatnot, you got to, got to, got to go get one. It's a very funky draft class in a lot of respects. Not only with the edge rushers, there's a lot of guys. So I make a board and I usually just have defensive line and then edge, but this year I actually added defensive end because there's so many of those kind of in between guys, uh, Peyton Turner, Boogie Basham, uh, the, uh, the guy from Vanderbilt, uh, Milton Williams. There's a lot of guys like that. And then offensive line, same thing. There's a lot of guys that are, are they tackles or are they guards? Every year you have some of that, but a lot of these guys look great tackles with 32, 33-inch arms and wide out too. There's so many wide receivers that are, at least size-wise, slot wide receivers. Some of them I think can win on the outside. I think Elijah Moore probably can. I'm not so sure Rondell Moore can. And uh, so it's a lot of in-betweeners, as they say, tweeners across the board. There for sure. Yeah, there definitely is. There's definitely a, uh, a ton of positions that are really deep, it feels like, as we touched on earlier. And so I guess trying to slot into that first spot, what do we think position-wise we're thinking for that first position that we'd like to fill? So we've got four. Um, I we guess... Can, we can go in any direction here, too. O-tackle. Yeah, we got to get some tackles on there. We didn't necessarily do a tackle episode. So with that in mind, I believe Cosme meets the, the typical height threshold as well. Cosme is kind of a guy that's being mocked more as a zone, left tackle, a little bit more so, a little lighter. Let's yeah. see. Co- Cosme is... I got him at 6'7", so He doesn't meet 33-inch arm. Yeah, 33. 6'5", and 7'8", 33-inch arm. So height-wise, wow. he meets that additional threshold, but not the length. So the guys that I look at, uh, I think Leatherwood has really strong length, 34. Uh, he's not quite the typical height. So I think Leatherwood's an interesting one to talk about that a lot of people you know, are having those discussions about moving to guard. The other ones that stick out are Stone Forsyth out of Florida, who has a is a prodigious six foot eight with 34 and three eighth inch arms. Uh, had a really good RAS. He is interesting because he uh, comes from a very pass happy Florida offense, a lot of five wide, four wide spread stuff. Uh, really strong in pass protection, not a great run blocker, but 
I feel like that kind of marries with this Ravens offense well, where you can kind of mask the inability to be a super effective run blocker with being strong in pass protection. I think you can get away and learn quickly in this offense. Uh, And then one of the most interesting ones to me as well, I would say, is Spencer Brown. The Ravens have never had a Spencer. It would be really fun for me personally. (laughs) That would be huge Uh, for you, yeah. That would be big for the program. But he has prodigious height, prodigious length. I don't even know what that one was. That one snuck in there quick. Here's a guy. uh, Here's a guy who's, yeah, he is even taller than Stone Forsyth. He is 6'8 and 2 eighths. Uh, he has 34 and three quarter inch arms, big paws. He had a 10 RAS. I think he was the number two uh, tester in this class. Yeah. No, he's the number one tester in this entire number two tester. Creed Humphrey was first, I think. Uh, so yeah, he ran sub five forty. Had a really good, crazy one six nine ten yard split. His three cone was under uh, seven seconds. He had a six nine six three cone. So you never see him lose to speed around the outside. He washes guys out. I think he's got some nastiness to him. So I think those guys are interesting considering their height, their length, falling in that threshold. And then uh, I think Brown, you know, he's already a right tackle. So it might be nice to have someone who's not getting all pissy about not playing left tackle there, uh, is is fluent there already. And he was an opt-out and is still, you know, he's being mocked, I think, like top 50 at times now. He's been a riser in the senior bowl. He was kind of quiet, but it was like a, a good quiet where, there was no real bad reps from him. He was pretty consistent, pretty even keel throughout. So I think those guys are very interesting. Um, I think a great call on Leatherwood. He's a sleeper that just kind of has like a Ravens vibe to him where it could just be kind of like, whoa, they took Leatherwood. Great, um, great name, by the way. Leatherwood. That's a football yeah. guy name. Yeah. Big time player. Um I like for I think for this I might like some tackle guard versatility you mentioned there I feel like for a guy yeah. if you're going to be drafting him behind one of these tackles that might be a key what do you guys think pretty much all these guys I think have tackle guard versatility the one big name to me is Tevin Jenkins and I think he might be my number one ideal pick at number twenty seven I don't know if he's going to make it there you see Mox where he goes he's always in the twenty to thirty five range every once in a while I'll get to the second round. I think he'd be an awesome, awesome replacement for Orlando Brown. Just a really strong bull um, tone setter. Underrated pass protection, especially his really nice technique. And he could play left guard for the first year if they keep Brown. I, to me, I would definitely put him in the bracket if you guys think he, he has a good, decent chance he makes it there. I kind of want to because I love him as a player as well. I love him at 27. And our offensive line picks were Creed and Dickerson. So those are two probably definite interior guys. So I think talking about tackle guard versatility, that would be going the other way. Unless, Spenny, you think there's no chance that he falls. I, I, he's really tough to tell because the, the grapevine lately has been saying he is strictly a right tackle. So that, you know, puts him down the list a little bit. Um, he's pretty close to hitting that threshold. He hits the height and he's just a little bit short in the length. So he does have experience as a guard as well. Uh, he has started there. He has played there. He's played on the left side. He's played on the right side. Mainly most of his snaps come in there. I love Jenkins a lot. He's uh, someone that I would not be uncomfortable taking in the top 15, top 20 uh, in, in a lot of drafts. So I like Jenkins a lot. I think we can definitely slot him in there. Cool. So he is going to be that first sort of wild card pick there. So writing in Tevin Jenkins. So that is an offensive line position off the board and uh, a tackle specifically, like we mentioned. So there he goes. And uh, moving on to our next pick, what do you guys think we start with now? 
Well, what do you what do you guys make of Cosme? Because uh, he does seem like a a left tackle to me. But uh, you think there's a chance they would they would take him to at twenty seven? I don't know. I'll be honest, I didn't I, watch a ton of him. He's at very athletic. Uh, he kind of is lighter and faster, but so was Ronnie Stanley. Um, I mean, if you're going for a more, and he's very experienced, if you're going for a more... I believe he started a full season at right tackle, if I'm not mistaken. I think he started like 13 games at right tackle and like 20 at left tackle, if I remember correctly. I mean, he's 314 pounds, so he's not... Once you start getting to that 300 mark or under, I think that's definitely a left tackle. But uh, I don't know. That's that's your call. I, I personally think... There's, he will probably come off the board before Leatherwood, but those would probably be the two other potential tackles to consider. Cosme or Leatherwood, and then I don't. I mean, I love Jalen Mayfield a lot, but he is not what the Ravens traditionally do in terms of those uh, height yeah. height and length metrics. I think he's like thirty three and under he's six a, foot five. He's a guard. I think he's a guard. Maybe with some. I don't know. Maybe you could play right tackle to me. I think you definitely start out with him at tackle and see how it goes and see if he can hang there. I think that's the case with Leatherwood too, but Leatherwood just has really strong length. So you're probably going to stick with him at tackle for a year or two at the least. Um, I don't I don't really see Cosme being the guy to be yeah. honest. I think, I think he's uh I think he's a zone heavy left tackle um, tall moves. Well, I don't see him, uh, being what they like. I mean, usually the Ravens' right tackles are freaking hammers. Right. They're usually big, 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 big boys. Um, so I think I would I, I, maybe Leatherwood's better at right tackle, man. Maybe that maybe that suits him a little better. I think he's only played on the left side, but uh, he is an outstanding run blocker. I think he fits in that man gap scheme really, really, really well. Um, I think Leatherwood, uh, I feel like the Ravens would like Leatherwood more than any other team would. Yeah. They, I mean, they ostensibly they ostensibly chose Orlando Brown Jr. over Connor Williams, if I remember correctly, which is kind of like the, right. that size discussion that you're talking about. Right, that thickness and length versus kind of the tall, lean, mobile dude. And they, I mean, DeCosta straight up said at one point, I think in the last round of whatever interviews they do, pressers they do, he was like, you know, if a guy's under 300 pounds, he's probably not going to be on our board. But if he doesn't play like that at all, then we'll consider him. It's quite um, insulting. So I, I see Cosme being, by it too, to be honest. I see Cosme being maybe a, a Chargers fit, a Vikings fit, a, a fit on a team that's a little more zone Chief. heavy and yeah, that Chiefs, yeah, Chiefs, yeah. All right, we'll put Leatherwood or put Leatherwood in the maybe column. I don't know, but I th- I think it's there's a reason, there's a chance. Stranger things have happened. Jenkins, Leatherwood, okay. The only other tackle that I can think of that I actually am surprised to find out meets the height and length requirements is Dylan Radins, who was kick ass at the senior bowl. Um, heard some very mixed reviews from people who know a little bit more than me in terms of the offensive line play, but Radins I think is just under six, six, no, he's six, five and six, eights with 34 inch arms tested super well, 9.28 RAS, uh, very agile and, I don't know. He shot shit down at the senior bowl, to be honest. He stalled out bull rushes pretty quickly. Um, but I, th- I just, uh, hmm, I don't know. This is a tough call. I think we should definitely put another tackle and then two two real wild cards. 
So, so I think I, uh, I think Leatherwood or Leatherwood, I guess. Yeah, I wrote down Leatherwood. So if you guys are good with that, let's roll with it. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So we got Tevin Jenkins, Alex Leatherwood as our first two, and then uh, you were talking about getting uh, getting a little crazy with it for the last two. You got any positions or players in mind? We didn't talk about Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. I think I uh, might be on freezing cold takes with him. I don't see it. Uh, I don't see him being able to be an actual linebacker at all. I don't think he is someone who's going to quickly fit in this Ravens defense. He doesn't have deep safety ability. Um, and he. I think he's a slot. I think he's just kind of like a nickelbacker that you don't want beating blocks. You want him chasing and playing in a dime defense and things like that. Uh, I think he's a little bit limited in terms of role. I like him on a team like maybe the Cardinals or something that likes to play super heavy dime. They just took, uh, what's his name, out of Clemson last year. Same guy. Oh, uh, Tanner Muse. No, no. The first round pick. Uh, oh, Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Similar him. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think he is a funky fit for the Ravens. He kind of just like a smaller Patrick Queen, who's probably better in coverage uh, in a lot of ways in terms of having some man ability. I like what he can do against RPOs. To me, if I'm the Ravens, I'm looking more at Zayvon Collins, who probably has some Sam ability. Uh, I think that he can close passing windows, move around. I think he's really strong in zone coverage. Um, he, I think he's gotten mocked there quite a bit. I think he's the type. He, he kind of reminds me of Malik Harrison in some ways in terms of profile, but probably a better mover in space a little bit more. Uh, and, and I think would maybe be able to take, I mean, he's like 6'5", 260, as opposed to Harrison is like 6'3", 245. So I no, think he's, he's someone that you can, yeah, I think he's someone you can put on the uh, put on the old front and, and start toying around with. But to me, he's kind of a Mike. He would be a weird pick that I think could, Pan out really well in like three years for the Ravens. Yeah, Wikipedia has got him at 6'4", 260. And uh, I saw Clawson tweeting about him a little bit today. I think he said the same thing. Our guy Josh Reed, our, uh, our buddy at Beatdown, loves Collins. And we were talking about it. We were writing up our, uh, our love-hate series. And he was like, I don't know if he's going to make it there. And I don't know if they need another Sam. I think it's great to have two Sams. It allows you so much deception. It's kind of what they had last year with Judon. And Bowser, um, I really think if you haven't put him on the uh, the bracket yet, um, I mean, what what is it? Sixty percent of the first the first pick is going to be an edge rusher, maybe seventy percent, at least a good Probably. chance, I think. So I I think he'd be a good choice. And I don't know if you've already I know you've already touched on OA trying to bash him, um, but uh, they might be another wild card to uh, to fill that spot. I can't get behind OA. I, I, I mean, and he, everybody loves to talk about Daniil Hunter for him not having the production. I don't even care about the production. I just care that he's lost a lot. Um, he doesn't know where the play is going. He is out of sorts. I think his run, his ability to set the edge is decently strong. I don't see a player that runs a 4-3 on tape. I would rather go with Tryon if we want to go that way. Uh, unless there's maybe like a corner or something else, maybe a Javon Holland. I think we kind of glazed over and didn't end up putting. Um, but again, Holland's probably not going to be that free safety type. And I don't see the Ravens going with someone who doesn't exactly have a very different skill set from Clark and Elliott uh, in round one, at least. 
You know, the I love you know, Holland I love is you can play the slot too, I guess. But yeah, Holland can probably cover tight ends pretty well. Um, I think he's right about the size and tested pretty similarly to Chuck Clark. Uh, I think is is somewhat similar there, but you know, I think it's kind of Merrick or bust in the first round for safety. I feel the same way. You guys know I love Tryon too, so I'd be I'd be definitely willing to pencil him in here. Why don't we throw in Tryon's been a, a big riser in the last like week in terms of like Twitter and stuff. People have it seems like have kind of started to get hip, and then yet another opt out that we we don't get to quite see. The reason I do like Zayvon Collins a lot is because the Ravens like team captains. They like the leadership type. They like last year I think only Patrick Queen and. I don't think Malik Harrison was a team captain. I think he might have been a couple times, but I don't think he was an actual team captain. Other than that, J.K. was team captain, Duvernay team captain, Prochet team captain, Broderick Washington team captain, Bredesen team, all of those guys were team captains. Um, so I like Collins for that a lot. And then, yeah, I'm fine with Tryon. Do you think they're going to downgrade players that opted out just because they don't love football as much as John Harbaugh wants them to? I could, I could honestly see it. I think I could see it. <laughs> I think it's not that they downgrade them. I think it's just they respect players who didn't opt out more. It's for sure that like you, there's going to be some. I think DeCosta probably doesn't care, but Harbs, you know, he's in the room with them, and they're going to they're going to be in person this year. That's another thing they touched on. So I think Harbs is probably going to want his guys who played I, again. Not anything against the guys who didn't, but uh, I don't know. Like I mean, practically, like it's probably good to have recent tape on guys too. To be fair, yeah, sure, sure, and, and they actually, private workouts, yeah. Boogie Basham in the first round? Do you think Boogie goes in the first or no? I don't. I tried to rewatch him and have like a really positive attitude. I was so big on him last year. I don't know if you guys remember, like in the Slack chat, I was like, yeah, yeah I, was, I was big on him after his 2019 season. I tried to rewatch him and be like, I was missing it. I'm going to watch him again and I'm going to be really excited about it. And I'm, I was a little more excited. And I think he's maybe a, a I think he is a second round player, but I just, I think. In turn, for me, people have different things. And like uh, John Lettered, who's worked for Pewter Report and the Draft Network, he's like, if you have more than 15 first round grades, you're a moron. But to me, a first round grade is someone who I am putting on a defense, especially defensively. They are starting and they need to be able to play a full seasons of snap counts immediately. I'm not quite comfortable with Boogie yet. I think he does need some development in that aspect. Uh, the thing he does, it really pisses me off. He is big and strong and fast and physical but he just wants to swim guys. He just wants to beat guys quickly. Like he, he gets guys on their heels and he never converts speed to power. Like so rarely he could jolt guys back into the pocket and he always tries to go around them. He always tries to swim over them and it irritates me to no end. I see him being a, a higher upside Pernell McPhee down the road, maybe um, someone who could have more juice as a pass rusher a little bit more so, but I just think there's a lot of work there for now. Yeah, and Pernell McPhee, a fifth-round pick, and kind of the same thing that I could uh, you know, see a little bit with Boogie. It's just sort of a ball of physicality and uh, needs some refinement. So I feel like that's probably, especially in a year like this, maybe not going to go first round. Right. Um, it's tough, though. I mean, I wouldn't hate it, and I see it. I see the potential, and, and maybe you know, going to a crappier team where you can get a guy a bunch of snaps and they can develop that way would make sense. Uh, in the second round, I would absolutely love him. I think that would be fantastic value, but I don't know. I really, the, the Collins thing is really, the more I'm thinking about it, the versatility is depth that way that if a Malik Harrison is unable to play some snaps or if, you know, you need some snaps at edge at some point, Collins being able to go down there and, and probably stack and shed well uh, to a degree with his length 
and his high IQ, definitely a, a very high IQ player. So that one's growing on me the more I'm thinking about it for sure. Um, but yeah, what do we think? Try on? I, I uh, go, go ahead, ahead, boss. No, go ahead, boss. I think both those guys make sense. I mean, I'm looking through here and you got who's a Rike, who's a three tech. I don't see another three tech. I mean, they just don't need very much. You just need four, four or five very targeted skill sets. And I think what you know with this with this bracket, you already have it covered. I really can't see him taking a corner in the first unless it's unless Horn somehow falls. You know, I don't think that's right. Good. Yeah, I would. Right. I I'd, I'd throw my vote for trying. The one guy that I haven't watched enough of still, and I keep saying it is Peyton Turner. Um, I think Joseph Osai, hustle wise, probably is a hardball guy. Oh, for sure, for sure. He has an unbelievable, like he has the best motor of anyone. I, I'm not kidding. I think the best the people love to say the motor runs red or whatever. It is the best of anyone I think I've ever seen in college football. It doesn't stop. He makes so many tackles that he has no business making 10 yards downfield. It is like watching Brandon Williams play outside linebacker. Like he does. Here's a guy. Exactly. <laughs> um, and Osai, I think Osai had a 41 inch vertical. I think he has 84 inch wingspan. Uh, very raw, but you know, with Bowser, with McPhee, with Ferguson, and and maybe with a Justin Houston, he doesn't have to play. But I feel like they like taking first rounders that that play. Yeah, and I don't I, know if that's him. I prefer Tryon to Osai. Um, I have Tryon uh, as my fifth edge, and Osai is my seventh for whatever that's worth. That probably is pretty similar to what I have. Oh, I think Tryon's my fourth, and Osai is my sixth. I got my rankings pulled up for me. I don't even know if I actually categorized all the edge, but I definitely had Tryon a little bit higher than Osai, from what I remember. Um, but yeah, I'd cast my vote for him for that third spot, Tryon. Yeah, Tryon is loose. I think he's the type that can go through you, counter inside, and get outside. Uh, I don't think he's a. I don't think he's a twelve sack finisher type, but I think he's going to get a lot of pressure. He can cover. He runs, he chases, he plays hot, um, very physical. And again, he I think he's loose enough to be an effective pass rusher. And I think he uh, is kind of like a, you know, a jerk enough to just be a annoying Judon type a little bit. I think he can uh, can hit after the whistle a little bit and, and be that kind of guy. And I like those kind of guys. All the different angles of attack, penetrating different gaps, doing that kind of stuff. It's uh, something that is going to lend itself to him getting on the field quickly, too, which can be an issue at the edge position sometimes for the Ravens. Yeah, he can cover. Right. He can cover, uh, drop into coverage, zone coverage reasonably well, too. Um, I like everything about him. I, I would not. He's probably one of my three or four favorite guys and reasonably will be there at 27. Cool. So I we, like it a lot. Yeah, let's do it. Yep. So we got Tevin Jenkins, Alex Leatherwood, Joe Tryon. What do you think about a receiver for the last pick? We didn't have Elijah Moore, did we? No, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Um, I got I got a feeling like, deep within deep burning deep within my loins that they're going to pass a receiver on day one and pick more on day two. That would be I would jump for joy if that's what happened. It really is the worst receiver class for what they need skill set wise. It really couldn't be much worse. Uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. At least with the guys like, that are going to be available to them. Yeah. The guy like day three, it could be fine. Seth Williams, uh, Frank Darby, 
Um, Josh Palmer is someone that I don't hate. Everyone knows how much I love Cornell Powell. He's heating up big time, Josh Palmer, recently. Terry. He's pretty solid. Scary Terry on day three. Your boy. He he is going to – if he goes to the right system, he could be a 1,000-yard guy like next year, I feel like. I feel like if he goes to the right place. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's just really terrible. Like, I want to love. I want to really love Tylen Wallace, but he's just not quite big enough, and he's not like he's it, he's not going to be able to get away with the contested catches to the degree that he did in college. It's it's just not going to happen like that in the NFL. But I like him a lot. I think he's a professional. Nico Collins does not do it for me all the way. Uh, like round three, I'm great with him. Round two, I'm not that happy. And round one, I would stab myself in the eyes. Uh, I think Elijah we, Moore won. He's he's my one, two, three. He's my sixth uh, wideout behind you know the two guys you already have in the big three. Clearly, I mean he's a top tier above Tony in my eyes. I would prefer him over Terrace Marshall, who I already have on the bracket. I like him over Terrace Marshall too. I have five receivers with first round grades. Listen. He's my fifth. Let's talk about the need of slot, right? Because I came in this offseason saying they have tons of slots. They don't need any more slots. And I'm not saying Elijah Moore is only a slot. I think he could probably get away with some Z. But he's he's size slot at least. But when you think about it, what has Duvernay really proven? You know? I mean, I, this I is what definitely Duvernay runs fast. Devin Duvernay has good hands and he runs fast. That is what he does. And in a straight, in a straight line, he contested. runs fast. In a straight line. Yes, he is a good linear athlete. Whereas, what I've seen, Elijah Moore destroys zone coverage. He paces himself really well. He seems to be able to read it really well. I think he's highly intelligent. And the Ravens faced nice 69% zone coverage in 2020. I think it was wow. slightly higher than that in 2019. <laughs> uh, so, I think he would destroy zone a little bit better. He reminds me of Antonio Brown after the catch. Just yeah, absolutely. They just they just look the same. Um, I don't think I'm I'm saying that he's going to be someone who you know has a Hall of Fame resume on the football field, but he has that kind of really quick frequency and kind of gets in and out and sets guys up quickly. Uh, creative creative shit with the ball in his hands too. Like when Antonio Brown would make a catch and then he would like turn all the way around and like do all this weird like ballerina type stuff. It's kind of like you see similar stuff. Yes, and you throw him the ball, he catches it. He gets rocked. He's gotten like knocked out and keeps the ball. I can't remember. I just watched it today. It was who was I watching? It was Ole Miss and Arkansas, I believe. It was Arkansas safety straight up knocked him out on the field, and he just had the ball like it was stuck. He was literally knocked out and had it had five points of contact still with the football. Uh, so I think he's a badass. I like him a lot, and I'm, I definitely when we had the, when we did the receiver episode, I was saying I wanted to put him. Uh, on that list. And so, yeah, I'm fine with that. Sammy Watkins, Hollywood Brown, Elijah Moore. It's a, a nice little trio there. Yeah. And, like yeah, the, whole, and the whole slot. One of them's going to get hurt. One, someone's going to get hurt. Like they're not all going to be healthy. So it's like, are you sure Devin Duvernay is going to play 16 games? Are you sure? Like of all these things, um, I would like Elijah Moore a lot, but again, it's just, I think honestly, in terms of toughness over the middle of the field, he fit. That's what they need. 
They need toughness over the middle of the field where you can throw the ball, you know it's going to get caught, and you know it's not going to get picked. The whole slot thing, too, is like, for me, I I think I said this recently, it's like, why not just get good receivers? Like, why, like, especially at this point, beggars can't really afford to be choosers, and he's a good receiver to me. Lamar also likes throwing over the middle of the field, so. I mean, he ran a freaking 4-3-4. He is faster than Duvernay. Timed at least. Duvernay was like a track star, but Duvernay, the thing about Duvernay actually that I don't even like to admit sometimes because it ruins my argument a little bit at times, but he played, I think, 192 snaps in the slot and like 170 out wide. So, but what did he do out wide? How many targets did he even get out wide? He just, he's not a, he's not a, he's a wide receiver four, man. It was a lot of manufactured touches. It was a lot of like sweeps and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And I mean, he, he did a nice job with it, but yeah, he's kind of an athlete at this point. Hopefully he can develop into something more, but like there shouldn't, he hasn't totally engendered a lot of the confidence that he's. I like, I like DuVernay. I mocked DuVernay to the Ravens in the last mock draft I did last year, but I mocked him to the Ravens in the fifth round as the second wide receiver they took, not as the first wide receiver they took that they are now uh, telling people that they are offended by because you don't think he's a superstar. It's quite insulting. I'm insulted by it too, to be honest. <laughs> he uh, He's just not sudden. He's not sudden. He doesn't, uh, I don't know. I, and may, I think he does need more targets to see what he can do maybe as an outside receiver if he can go shield the ball, whatever. But I don't see him losing guys and getting separation unless he can run by them and be a little physical with them. Uh, so yeah, I... I, I would be ecstatic with if they took Elijah Moore in the first round, I would be happy with that. He has high production. I think he has a little bit of that mojo that AJ Brown and DK Metcalf had. I think he has confidence from them, um, knowing how successful they were and being able to run with them and make plays alongside them. I think that gives you confidence. And then, I mean, he is all time great gold feet global Instagram workout videos. He cuts up <laughs> turf with his Instagram releases. Wow. His Instagram releases are sick. <laughs> so he's, uh, he's, I love Bateman's a my guy and Elijah Moore probably among all the other receivers in this class. I am not a puss, so I don't, uh, you know, say J- Jamar Chase is a my guy, but Elijah Moore. I just love watching him get like yeah, no, absolutely hey, dude, like, in the middle of the field. Yeah, how about you have some ball? Like Trevor Lawrence, that's my guy, okay? <laughs> exactly. And then I also just want to say for the record, you, a player can't be a sleeper if they play for a Power 5 school, let alone the SEC. That, I've been seeing a lot of that floating around. It's like Stone Forsythe is such a sleeper. It's like he was playing out in Florida. They were ranked in the top fucking 10. They like almost went to the playoffs. Yeah, he's a sleeper. He's been their starting left tackle for yeah. two years. The counterpoint is Terry McLaurin. But I hear you. Okay. All right. Okay. That's true. <laughs> Point taken. That's true. All right. Point well, taken. We got uh, Tevin Jenkins, Alex Leatherwood, Joe Tryon, Elijah Moore joining the bracket that had Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, Christian Barmore, Lee McNeil, Trevon Morig, Richie Grant, Creed Humphrey, Landon Dickerson, Pat Fryermuth, Breving Jordan, Jalen Phillips, and Aziz Ojulari. I also just want to, my final record of this episode, I would way rather have Dummy Brown in round two than Terrace Marshall in round one. Yeah, I, I think That's I'm, my, I think, I, yeah, I think I'm kind of all the way out on old uh, Franklin Terrace there. I think uh, I, I'm kind of as, as bearish on him as uh, I was on the Franklin, Ta- Franklin Terrace towers that were demolished ahead of season uh, four of the wire. Was that or three? I think three. I think four, four was the schools. Yeah. Okay. So three is, yeah. Two was the, the Haba. 
Yeah, they're down with the, the Greek. The my, two my was boy. Greek. The Greek up the Greek season. Yeah, your guy back there. Yeah. Frank Sabaka, baby. Yep. <laughs> All right, boys. That was fun. Uh, I think what we're going to be doing with this is uh, so coming on Friday, I believe we have what is going to be an interview. Um, if that should fall through, we're basically going to go ahead and do the bracket episode. But uh, in the event that it does happen, which I think it's going to, then the bracket is going to be on Tuesday and uh, kind of doing our comprehensive draft preview next, uh, I believe, probably Wednesday or maybe on Thursday of the draft, trying to get that final comprehensive preview out before it. But with the bracket, basically, we're going to do two different versions where us three are going to hop in and we're going to go matchup by matchup and we're going to get a two out of three vote from the three of us uh, to advance guys through. And we're also going to put out a fan one on Twitter uh, doing it as a thread for you guys to vote on. So we're going to have our perfect pick for the Ravens and the fan perfect pick for the Ravens. Uh, and I think I'll try to have that up before the episode so we can discuss the fan one and then uh, see if we arrive at the same conclusions. Uh, does that sound good to you, gents? Sure. Absolutely. Sweet. So that is going to be uh, a really fun time. And uh, this was a really fun time. A uh, great episode. Thank you guys for joining me. As always, it was very fun. Uh, before we get out of here, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Luke. You can find the show on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown and our website at Be More Beatdown. Spenny, you can be or Spenny can be found at Ravens Four Dummies. That's the number four. And Voss, where can they find you and your stuff? At Vasilis Beatdown. V A S I L I S Beatdown. There you have it. Uh, appreciate you joining us, buddy. And uh, looking forward to continuing to talk to you on the bracket. Uh, as far as for everyone listening, uh, if you are listening on iTunes, go ahead and leave us, leave us a nice rating and review. really helps get our numbers up. And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a little like and subscribe, trying to get the YouTube numbers pumped up as well. But uh, in the meantime, we're full steam ahead towards the draft. Uh, thank you guys for tuning into this one, and I uh, hope you stay tuned as we uh, continue uh, sort of landing this plane here and uh, furthering into the offseason here. But until uh, next time, we will talk to you. See ya. Arrivederci. Gorlami. Gorlami. Arrivederci. 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 Arrivederci.